I don't remember when I started believing in Santa Claus. And I don't remember exactly how old I was when I stopped believing in Santa Claus. But I do have some memory of the mental process that went into becoming an unbeliever. It first started with older kids on the playground that stated very confidently that there was no such thing as Santa Claus and that the grown-ups were behind the whole thing. Somewhat surprisingly, I don't remember my older brother being part of my disillusionment, even though that would seem the sort of thing that an older sibling would do. At least that's not how I remember it, so he remains blameless in the whole thing. My disbelief took root over about three Christmases after I heard this shocking tale on the playground. The first Christmas, I remember staying awake as long as I could, not listening for Santa so that I could be delighted, but instead listening for the treachery of my parents putting presents under the tree. The next Christmas, I got up early, but still no luck. I did not catch anyone in the act. Apparently, my parents were quite attuned to my sleep cycle and always evaded detection. The third and final Christmas, I entered the holiday season no longer with a sure and certain belief in Santa, but I wanted to hedge my bets, so I kept my doubts to myself. But from then on, for some reason, I knew that there was no Santa, and there was no going back from that. I was a non-believer. I rather love that on the second Sunday of Easter each year, we have this reading from the Gospel of John, and we are invited, I would submit, to celebrate disbelief. Now, certainly some folks would quibble with me about that and point to the fact that we need to hear in the Gospel, what we need to hear in the Gospel is that Thomas believed, but if the risen Jesus did not shy away from Thomas's disbelief, and if the writer of the Gospel of John didn't feel the need to hide it away, then I think that we should own and celebrate the fact that right there in the Gospels, in the first generation of disciples, there was disbelief. I rather like Thomas as far as a character in the scriptures go. He's very practical. I like that Thomas too, um, but the Thomas of the Gospels I liked because he is very practical, plain spoken, and unafraid. Thomas is the disciple that earlier in the Gospel of John, when Jesus says that he's going to go to Bethany after he finds out that Lazarus has died, Thomas is the one that points out very quickly that it's dangerous to go that close to Jerusalem, but he also says that he wants to go with Jesus so that he might die there with him. Later on, when Jesus tells the disciples at, at the night before he was arrested that surely they know where he is going, Thomas is the first one to speak up and say plainly, no, he did not know where Jesus was planning on going. 
So when Thomas misses out on seeing the risen Jesus, when he's not in the upper room with the other disciples, he again very plainly states what he needs to have happen in order for him to believe what the other disciples were saying. He needs to see and touch the wounds of Jesus. A week later, when Jesus does show up, he doesn't shame Thomas for not believing or give him some long speech about how he could only be saved by faith alone. Instead, he says, come, see, touch. Don't doubt, but believe. It's that line together with the next bit about blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe that is usually why we are a bit hard on Thomas, aka doubting Thomas. But what is interesting to me is that this word that we translate as believe, when we go back and look at the Greek, its Greek root word comes from a word that means to be persuaded. Doubt in Greek is simply the negative or opposite of that. They just tack an A in front of the word. And so to doubt is to not be persuaded, right? We know what to persuade means. We probably all practice the art of persuasion at some point in time in our life. It means to be convinced or to convince someone by your argument or presentation of facts. I don't know about you, but I don't often think about the fact that I maybe have been persuaded to believe in God. But that is exactly what Jesus is doing for Thomas this, in this gospel reading. He is persuading Thomas by showing him what Thomas has told him he needed to have in order to believe. In our reading from Acts, we get Peter's great speech given on Pentecost after they have had the Holy Spirit come upon them and all the speaking in tongues bit. Peter gets up and gives this long speech. And what Peter is doing is persuading the crowd to believe in what he has come to know. This speech comes after Jesus's ascension and comes after the coming of the Holy Spirit, and Peter steps out to make the case that Jesus is the Messiah. And in order to do this, he lays out the argument. If this was in a paper, this would probably be in italics and would begin with C, comma, spirit, speaking in tongues. See also signs and wonders. See also King David in the Psalms and that these form the basis of the argument and the proof that Peter offers that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead and ascended to God the Father. And then let Peter end his great speech with, therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter didn't expect to step out the front door and have the crowd there believe him. He came prepared to persuade them. So maybe we should hear in John's gospel, not blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, but blessed are those who have not yet seen, have not seen and yet have been persuaded. I have been persuaded that God created the world and became one of us in Jesus Christ and defeated death 
and ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit upon us so that we can proclaim with the power of the Spirit that sins are forgiven and that death is no more and that others may be persuaded to believe in that too. So there are times when I have certainly tested my belief where maybe the persuasion seemed to give way. Times when I have said, God, if you're real, then you should do this. Or times when I stand to proclaim the gospel in worship or say the Nicene Creed that I suddenly feel a disconnect and the doubt or non-persuasion creeps in. And I ask myself, do I really believe this? And again and again, I find myself persuaded. Even in this time of pandemic, where fear seems to rule the day, where we are separated and isolated, I am persuaded that the kingdom of God still reigns and that the community of the people of God remains connected. So on this second Sunday of Easter, I am happy to be able to consider the ways that I have doubts, and to ask, what have you had doubts about? When have you felt maybe not as persuaded as you once were in your faith? Have you ever bargained with God about your belief? Is there something right now that you really need to see in order that you can believe? And have you made that known to God? This second Sunday in Easter, I am persuaded by the risen Jesus that my doubts make my faith stronger, that the Jesus that was willing for Thomas to touch the wounds of his resurrected body is just as willing through the Holy Spirit to meet my doubts with an invitation to yet again be persuaded. Amen. <laughs>